Hello everybody and welcome to episode 92 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, Jim Carrey is interesting again, Mark tells us the secret of his powers, a hat-trick of miserable weeks for EA and DICE, Tom Nook is about to make some serious bank, and our book club this week is all about medieval hack-and-slash fun in Castle Crashers. Let's start the show. from linktothecast.eu available on all your favourite podcasting platforms Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Stitcher I'm your party host, Dave Ryan joined as I am each and every week by the platforming prodigy that is Mark Robinson Mark, how are you? Uh, I've literally just set up a, a price alert to let me know of any price changes uh, for my flight back home next month so I'm expecting a million fucking emails between now and then <laughs> It's getting that time of year, isn't it? Yeah. Holiday plans are being made. Holidays are coming. I had two of the big kind of uh, traditional, you know, it's Christmas when cliche moments um, this week. And that was uh, my first uh, sight of the Coca-Cola Christmas ad, mm-hmm. which a lot of people say is the, the first sign of Christmas. And then also hearing the Pogues on the radio. Um, not to be uh, like, oh, oh, advertising is awful, blah blah blah. Is. Bill Hicks. Um, but I don't, I don't get the the deal with the Coca Cola lorry. I just, I think it's just because, like, it. You know the way it used to be. There, there was, not that there was a rule or anything, but there always seemed a bit more adherence back when we were kids to, like, after Halloween is when the Christmas bullshit starts. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Coca-Cola was one of the ones where it was the same ad every year as opposed to there's new Christmas like there's a new John Lewis ad every year, there's a new this ad every year. Well, I Whereas, mean that that was that's only like a recent thing. Mm-hmm. Certainly for like the supermarkets like Yeah, yeah well them being a their... big emotional rip the heart out of you ad. But you know what I mean? Like the 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 kind of they would there would always be the holidays are coming ad it's the exact same every single year. Sure, for, sure. So I suppose it's just one of it's like an old pair of comfy shoes. Uh, come the Christmas period for everybody. Uh, the Pogues is a big one in Ireland when you hear fairy tale in New York for the first time. Mm. There was a year where I very proudly made it to the middle of December before I managed to hear that song once. See, I think that just working in retail for 10 years has thoroughly broken me to the concept of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like truly... It might start to slowly back ebb back into you now maybe, that you don't anymore. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Um, I know that you know at least like um, there'll be the Christmas tradition in that'll make uh, life a little bit easier for you where like pretty much all online game service all, all distributors like PSN Xbox Live Steam crash for a while over Christmas so it's all a bit quiet um, because it's their fault yeah see the thing is like most Christmases I've either spent playing something like Guitar Hero with my friends, or... Um, Does it mean more when you get back into work, it'll be a little quiet because people won't be able to play anything? Uh, I don't think that'll be the case for the games that I work on. I, I don't think that'll be the issue at all, because uh, they're fucking broken to begin with. Um, but 
like yeah last year um i was around laura so i didn't get a chance to play anything uh the year before this year that, you're going back home right this year i'm yeah. going back home yeah but i mean i'll be like too busy and i'll just have my switch so yeah. likely the only thing that i'll be playing is um i don't know whatever i, I buy for the, the holidays probably end up getting started do you, do you have the same do you have the same as me where like if you, you go back home for a few days over christmas like you'll usually treat yourself to a game oh yeah like, absolutely yeah so like usually i bring back um that's when i buy football manager generally yeah because sure. i'll bring my laptop with me yeah, yeah um but this year i'll be bringing my switch so uh, well i mean you have endless endless options yeah um no my big one was it was the last christmas before i i went you know away um and i had my wii u so i, I decided to treat myself to a copy of uh the hd version of um wind waker yeah that was a good remake and i very much enjoyed my granddad's running commentary throughout <laughs> the the six to seven hours or so that he was watching um i had another kind of christmasy thing this week i went up to they did the official lighting of the the christmas lights in dublin this week oh, okay which i'd never been to before and let me tell you they do a poor job of describing what it is so what it sounds like um, is that there's a proper parade and then everyone kind of, there's two routes. One is on Mary Street, one is on Grafton Street. And it sounds like there's a proper big cool parade on both streets and they meet up in the middle. Okay. And cool stuff happens. Now, the meeting up in the middle and the cool stuff happens bit is correct. I said, myself and my girlfriend Emma were up there and we said that we'd go to Grafton Street because Grafton Street would be the the bigger and more kind of renowned of the two streets. So he said that's going to be the one that has the cool stuff on it when it's going past. Um, Here is what the Grafton Street parade consisted of. Uh, where they really failed to emphasize how little there was early on in this thing and how much it was all based on when they all met up on O'Connell Street and lit the lights. <laughs> There was um, Santa, Santa was there, who was inexplicably just on a bicycle. (laughs) All lit up to fuck with Christmas lights on the bicycle. He was there, Santa was there. Um, In front of him was uh, a fire breeder, because Christmas. Uh Um, Behind them was a woman on a very large podium in kind of vaguely Christmassy get-up, dancing very enthusiastically. And behind them was kind of these, I think they were supposed to look like inflatable Christmas candles, which aren't a thing. Um, but what they came out looking like was like a, just a, a cheap recreation of the background from Aladdin. Just a real kind of Arabian Nights effect going on with them. It was very, very strange. I mean, at least they've not gone for the kind of full out stereotypical Irish, mm. just stereotypes, you know, they've, no. they've, they've mixed up a little bit. And it was kind of like it was it was just bollocks and cold out. And <laughs> it's an adjective they I've all, not seen, heard they before. All, they all went past us in about three minutes, but they were moving so slow that to go behind in the procession to O'Connell Street would have committed us to an additional maybe half an hour to forty five minutes of being out in that cold. Um so we kind of just bailed on it then. I think if we go back next year we'd probably stand out at O'Connell Street. Although I will say I I had nipped into the kind of renowned old shopping centre in, in Dublin, the Stephen's Green Shopping Centre, uh, and I happened to be in there when Santa arrived there. And let me tell you, I tweeted this out uh, when I saw it, I have seen more understated entrances at WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> they had a massive countdown, and as true as I am sitting here talking to you, Mark, they hit Santa's entrance music. 
confetti exploded out of the sides of the shopping center and santa came down like the the spiral staircase from the third floor surrounded by his entourage of elves kind of like shaking hands and hugging the children as he went past it was a proper baller entrance I mean, from one chris gringle if if anyone deserves an entrance of that kind of grandeur as the real be. big dog yeah exactly and like as he was doing like as he was about halfway down all the actual christmas lights in the center lit up as well like he was the fucking undertaker or some shit you know i don't think i've actually ever been to uh any kind of turning on of the lights just because with london like any kind of big event like that it's it's just chaos yeah um it's also hard to find like dimly lit parts of proper built-up London, this so it doesn't really add much more it's to like, it. It's like, oh, there's lights around Oxford Circus. It's like, yeah. well, there's just down the road is Piccadilly Circus, and if you're not aware, there's some big fucking LED yeah. lights going on around And there. if you were to turn off all those lights to accentuate the Christmas lights, it'd be fucking chaos. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, the only thing I've ever kind of really been out in the public for um, yeah. was... So when I was in in China for, oh, for the Christ- charges are still pending on that. No, no, no. talk about them. Um, when I was in China for Christmas Eve, um, because they they're still kind of coming around to this idea of um, uh, capitalism for a start. <laughs> you say Christianity. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. Um, they kind of like they have a broad idea of what Christmas is. Like they've they've got particular areas in in the big city which mm. have all the kind of high end retail shops, and they very much get into the spirit of having trees and presents, and whatever else. But for like for people like the students that come from um, out in the country who don't really have that much of a grasp of the West and Christmas and whatever else, mm. they kind of have like threadbare ideas of, of what it is about and for some f- fucking unexplainable to this day reason um there's a big uh, kind of square or park in the city that i was in and for some reason uh so they had a whole bunch of uh, like different um uh, events and um there were like kind of small motorized cars that could, the kids could go around in and all that kind of good stuff but everyone had an inflatable hammer or some version of an inflatable hammer, and everyone was just beating the shit out of each other. Do do you reckon, like, it was that there was some guy from the West who had visited that area in the, the, like, the mid-1990s and said that the Hammer Bros play a huge part in Christmas? Maybe Timmy Mallet went over at some point. The traditional Christmas whack-a-mole. And, like, so me and Ben and Chris, who are the other two English teachers between me and my city, uh, there was um, one of the, the bars in this square that had uh, one person there who spoke English. We went in there quite a bit. And it was kind of on a raised platform looking out to, like, most of the square. And we just kind of stood there and we wanted no part of it because, you know, we would have been the centre of attention because yeah. we were the only white people. Uh, which is not something that I get to say very often, so <laughs> it's a weird concept. Um, and you just, you know, like it, uh, metal gigs where you just have like the wall of death, where like yeah. either side they kind of spread and they run at each other. And there's the no man's land in the middle that you should not be in. It was that for about four hours, over and over and over <laughs> again, with inflatable hammers. And let me tell you, that was a good Christmas. Um. The only thing I really did this week of any note. Um, oh, and an update to um, a previous story on the pod. I got my PlayStation back today. Um, finally. 
I, I say finally, it was a, a good four or five days earlier than they said they were going to get back to me, so that's pretty good. They managed to repair whatever the hell was wrong with it. Um, as I was saying to you, in a kind of real kind of pedantic, nerdy thing, the only problem I have with the whole Sony customer service experience is that I really kind of wish they had told me exactly what went wrong with it. <laughs> so that I would, well. one, I would know out of genuine curiosity what this bug is with the PS4 Pros. But also then that I could maybe either prevent or notice the signs if it's going to happen again. It's either A, they don't know, or B, they don't want to have that information. Out. I would say it's the latter because so, that would yeah. that would be reflective of when I was trying to search for the problem uh, and yes. Sony did not have an official solution for it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the modern day of information that we live in, my friend. Um, and in the couple of days uh, where I was still waiting on the back, I've been kind of watching a bunch of TV um, while I've been uh, just kind of dicking around to the Switch or whatever. It's amazing the things um, you do when you don't have a console. Yeah, and I, and I watched... Um, there's this documentary that came on, like, because with Justice League and, and The Punisher and there was a bunch of stuff that came out last week, it kind of got lost in it all. And then for, obviously, wrestling people like us, it was Survivor Series weekend, so that was kind of busy in terms of content and covering my Twitter feed. Um, there was a documentary released on Friday, which is called Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, which is a documentary about the making of Man on the Moon, which is the the Andy Kaufman biopic starring Jim Carrey. Sure. Yeah, I remember that. So um, what happened was <clears throat> they were intending to release a documentary about the making of it because it was basically... In some ways, it was Jim Carrey's life work was because Andy Kaufman is the, the single greatest influence on Jim Carrey's comedy career. Like, mm. he's his hero. Um, so I think the initial intent was that they had these cameras on the set following him around as they did this film. And I think they were going to release the documentary or maybe they were going to do like a really in-depth making of because this would have been around the time where DVDs were taking off that this movie was made and coming out. So at a certain point, as Jim Carrey says in the, in the trailer for this documentary, at a certain point, because of the events of this film, he goes, uh, Universal uh, legally forbade him from ever releasing the footage because they didn't want people to think that their cash cow at the time, because you got to remember in the late 1990s, like it's not like it is now, at the late 1990s, Jim Carrey was untouchable. Oh, he was huge. He, anything he touched would turn to gold, good, like whether it was good or bad in hindsight. Yeah, yeah. No, he was he was like one of the biggest stars of yeah. the 90s. So, in Jim Carrey's own words, they didn't want people to think he was an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> because what was happening was, and this is the kind of the, the crux of the documentary, is that you've heard of like um, actors who do like method acting. So one of the famous things, because there's also a documentary coming out on Heath Ledger soon called I Am Heath Ledger. Mm -hmm. And part of that is about how like when he was getting into character for the Joker, like he legitimately locked himself away in his room and started talking in the voice to himself in the dark and like was getting real creepy into the character and not acting like Heath Ledger on set and things like that. Um, so there are people who definitely they get into the method of it they they try not to break character and Jim Carrey um, talks of it in very kind of like blur the, the lines between what's real and what's not in a very Andy Kaufman sort of way um, he talks about how when he was on the set he was Andy yeah, and he would be in character as Andy Kaufman or as have you ever seen Man on the Moon or I've not no okay so Andy Kaufman I've heard had the song 
So, yeah, it's a great song. <laughs> it's very good. Andy Kaufman had a couple of characters. So the most famous one was uh, Tony Clifton, who was this kind of like uh, middle-aged, chain-smoking, terrible lounge singer mm-hmm. who would give people dogs abuse. But the, the Andy Kaufman thing was Andy Kaufman kept up the pretense that they were not the same person. He would never break character to admit that they were the same person. Right. Um, they were two entirely separate people as far as he was concerned. But Jim Carrey it shows the behind the scenes stuff on this. So when he was dressed as Andy Kaufman, just doing the Andy Kaufman parts of the film, he was speaking off camera like Andy Kaufman. He was there's really weird scenes where like Andy Kaufman's surviving family members come to the set. Jesus. And they're coming because he's in character. And they're just fascinated by like, because they obviously he had passed away so tragically that they were kind of like, for them, they said it was almost like closure getting to speak to a version of Andy. It's, it's super (laughs) weird. And then when he's Tony Clifton, he's in character as Tony Clifton and he's being just this, he's being so awful to people. And, um, I can't remember the name of who was it? Um, would you Google there while you're sitting there who directed Man on the Moon? Because it's going to bother me. Um, sure. He, there's a lot about the relationship with the director and the director is really really like he is getting grey hairs just dealing with this level of like of course it'd be directed by someone with a, a fucking name that I cannot begin to pronounce attempt it because I'll know who it is uh, Milos Forman Milos yeah Milos Forman okay or Milos Forman Milos yeah sure. he um, there's like scenes where he's just like you can tell he's just like I'm so tired <laughs> Of like he, I, I just want to talk to Jim because he keeps like <laughs> he's talking to Jim as Andy and he's just like yeah me, we're going to dinner tonight and he's like we're not going to dinner he's like no me and Jim are going to dinner like he has to he has to act to Jim as Andy yeah, as if yeah. Jim is a third person who's not there <laughs> and there's a certain point at which like because he like he gets so into the role it's so incredible his acting in that movie um that there's a point at which he's becoming so tiresome to people that Jim said he was talking to Milos on the on the phone and he's just like, look. And this was kind of his nod and a wink to, this is the closest he'd come to admitting that he was just being a character. Where he's just like, look, they can go away and Jim can show up on set and do an impression, but it's not going to be as good. Yeah. <laughs> and Milos Foreman being, you know, sacrificing for the art was just like, no, I don't want them to go. <laughs> like, even though it would be an easier life. It's one of these incredible kind of like what's real and what's not sort of documentaries. Like, do you ever watch the I'm Not There, the Joaquin Phoenix one? No. Which Casey Affleck made a documentary about Joaquin Phoenix. You remember when Joaquin Phoenix had that massive public meltdown? Mm-hmm. Um, and that really blurred the lines uh, between was it a real meltdown or was the meltdown staged to get everyone's reaction to compose this documentary? So it's one of those, and it's also, there's this kind of other uh, subplot going on about how, like, the filming of this movie kind of, in a way, mirrors Jim Carrey's actual career. So, as well as being a documentary about Andy Kaufman and the filming of Man on the Moon, it is a documentary about Jim Carrey's, like, progression through his career from living colour to filming... God, he filmed... He was saying that... But in the course of like 18 months or something like that, he filmed The Mask, Ace Ventura, and Dumb and Dumber. Like, think about that. <laughs> Just completely set up for life off yep. those three movies. Yep. 
and it talks about like his serious work like i think a lot of people would say i still think his two best films if, if you're not including man of the moon his two best films to this day are both serious roles and it's uh, truman show and eternal sunshine of the spotless mind you make the argument because i i think with him being such a product of the 90s i i think a lot of his comedy stuff doesn't necessarily hold up anymore um I, the, particularly ace ventura the thing is uh, you, you get to a point where it's oh, like cable guy's great as well Sorry. there's there's like the caricature of jim carrey mm. uh and i think that that comes across more in some of the later films like liar liar mm. and ace ventura 2 but i think like the, that that trilogy of mm. three films i still I, like the mask a lot I yeah, still like the original Dumb and Dumber that I, was before, because as well, you want to talk about people whose comedy faded over time. The Farley Brothers, who made that movie, mm. because they did that. They then they did um, something about Mary. Yeah, I don't like I, that film in I, retrospect. I don't love it, but it's it's fine. Uh, I kind of like their their other work with with Jim Carrey, me myself, and Irene. I never really it's really fucking crass, but I it's, never really got um, that. Um, but I mean, I haven't seen it in a few years, but I I still can watch that original Ace Ventura. I can't. No, I really. Can't. No, it's 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 too much. Like I, I think the best of his, like you know the way, because Jim Carrey is one of these guys who the only kind of performance he does in those movies is big. Yeah. Like, it's such huge kind of just actually, dominating. Actually, the scene Bruce Almighty was good. It was okay. I I enjoy Bruce Almighty. Yeah, it's it, it's, it's 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 fine. It's, it's not... like it's along the same lines of yeah. a Jim Carrey kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. tropey sort of film. Mm. Um, but I mean, it has he more even than talks about minutes, how so. it's funny. He talks about how like he came up with it. You know, his all righty then that he's well yeah, known yeah. for as a catchphrase. He talks about how like it was just in the middle of a stand up set that he came up with that completely out of nothing. There's some great stories in it, but Jim and Andy, it's it's on Netflix. Uh, I would I would thoroughly recommend that uh, for anyone. I think it's really really fascinating. And hey, there's a good lengthy bit with Jerry Lawler in it for the the Graps fans amongst us, uh, and it's really good because he stays in character with Jerry Lawler, and Jerry Lawler properly gets annoyed with him mm. a lot. <laughs> uh, so that that's good times. Jim and Andy, uh, man on the air. Uh, the Great Beyond. Uh, it's on Netflix. Check it out. Let's talk about some video games, Mark. Let's uh, go playing this week. Mark, you've been playing uh, a Tenacious D song. I have, yes. Been down in the mucky muck. <laughs> uh, Wonder Boy, the Dragon's Trap. Uh, so this is uh, 13 or 14 quid on Switch at the moment. Um, I'm really enjoying that the Switch now has special offers and deals. Yeah. Um, well on board with that. So this is a game that I, I became aware of a while ago um, and figured it was something that I'd probably get my hands on at some point. Um, because, you know, it's a side-scrolling 2D platformer. Mm-hmm. Big fan of them. Really? Go away. <laughs> um, so, the, the Dragon's Trap is, uh, I think it's like a 1989 Sega Master System game that I'd never actually heard of. Um, but from what I've been reading about this, it's, it's basically, it's a remake of that. But it has a really, uh, really cool gimmick in that at any point during the game, you can press the right shoulder trigger, and it will swap the screen between the the new art style and the classic two D uh, pixel oh, art yes, style. Oh yes, you showed me this. Yeah, yeah. And it has such a wonderfully kind of smooth transition going from one to the other. Like, and it doesn't. It, there's no like kind of loading screen. There's no stop in gameplay. You can be running along and then press the shoulder trigger button, and it will still happen as you're playing. Um, so it's it's really cool to see the it's kind of like 
during gameplay but behind the scenes at the same time of hey let's see what kind of decisions the artist made with what they decided to do with all of this talent and and you know this platform they have to mm. you know remake this game basically um the the art style is um i think it's hand drawn i'm not entirely sure but it's it's got a it's it's, it's a beautiful hand drawn feel it, it has a hand drawn feel to it definitely um but like instead of where say cuphead it absolutely harkens back even to the kind of in terms of production to the 1930s with that kind of like the tearing on the screen and and the crackling and whatnot this is a very clean crisp uh hand-drawn style style sort of animation and production um but there's there's loads of little touches to it Uh, a lot of the the enemy design a lot of the character design they're all pulling faces um like when you go into um so there's a shop which is run by a pig so there's your cuphead comparison um (laughs) although he's in the original version yeah um so there's a pig that you talk to who uh is selling swords and armor stuff and uh just the the it's like a still image but for some reason the the kind of look on the characters there's a real i don't know the thing that i i uh, kind of just gravitated towards um the main core gameplay which is probably the key thing to talk about uh mm-hmm. so again side scrolling platformer um has a little bit of an rpg element element to it in that as you collect coins you can upgrade your armor and your swords um uh, uh, armor and your weapons um and you need to obviously you know buy the more higher powered stuff to get through some of the more difficult parts of the game um at the start of the game you play as Wonder Boy or Wonder Girl, um, and uh, you are transformed into a, a lizard man, if you will. And so you go through the game and you take on different bosses uh, and you ha- unlock a new kind of um, creature ability, if you will. So there's a dragon, you can turn into a tiny little mouse, you can turn, turn into uh, a fish man, uh, I think there's one or two others. And each of these versions of you has their own special ability. So uh, the mouse can climb up and around walls. Um, the fishman can swim underwater. And so you use that to traverse environments in different ways. So you'll be kind of coming back on yourself going through different levels because there'll be different things that you can unlock. Mm-hmm. So it definitely rewards you for exploring, definitely rewards you for backtracking yourself to go into these different areas to you know find as much as you can with these special abilities. Um, and it's just it's really fucking difficult. Uh, I, I I haven't swore at many games this year outside of the obvious ones, but Wonder Boy definitely um, has that retro platforming challenge to it. Yeah, this isn't your uh, your fun for all the family platformer. Yeah, and but it's not even like because a lot of the the older platformers, a lot of the the frustration came from um, like being knocked back knocked back off of a platform to like a bottomless pit mm-hmm. so shinobi would be the kind of famous one um but this this isn't here like i haven't found a bottomless pit yet um it's just that the the enemies on the screen um uh, like if you get kind of 
flustered or swarmed into an area with a lot of enemies, it's very difficult to take them on because your range of uh, attack is very, very limited because you only have a sword. And certainly, like, when you're the mouse, you're tiny, so you've just got no range at all. So you really need to kind of try and pick and pick off enemies one at a time uh, and make sure your screen is empty at all times if possible. So there's, like, a lot of kind of patience going from one screen to the next. You can't really rush through it. So, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely, like, as a platformer, it's definitely not doing anything um, that I haven't seen before. Um, I need to, at some point, put it up on the big screen. I need to see what yeah. that looks like on there. Um, and definitely, I need to show you, like, just That's a little one bit of, more of it. One of my constant curiosities with um, some of those smaller games on the Switch is they look so good in handheld mode. How will they translate then when they're put on a yeah, gigantic see, screen? I think this one, just because of the hand-drawn style of it, mm-hmm. I think it will translate very well. Like, I was astonished by how great the, the Switch port of Stardew looks on my, oh, really? big, on my big TV. Oh, yeah, because so I've pretty. only ever played it, like, on the, my MacBook, so... Um, I don't know whether it's the fact that like it feels like such a SNES game that when I connect it to a 40-inch TV, I'm expecting it to stretch like a SNES would. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Um, that I'm that blown away by it, but yeah, it's um, that Switch, eh? That's a good, it's, it's a good console. Quite, it's quite, speaking of the Switch, if I can uh, segue into my of course segment, you can. Uh, I've been playing Golf Story. Oh yeah. So as part of our kind of run in towards Game of the Year, I'm trying to at least get a get a feel for some of the games that uh may come up in different categories we have this year and golf story is one of the big one of the last couple of big ones that were on the list for me to get into so i said I, i'd put a few hours into it this week um and i have i'd say i've put about maybe five or six hours into it so far now i'm kind of going at a I'm not going to go too deep into like everyone knows what it is it's a golf RPG it's on the Switch you've was it you talked about it for a while and Jack talked about it yeah, as we, well yeah we show. both discussed yeah. it so I don't need to re kind of like uh, reopen that like as to what it is and how it plays and things like that but just overall impression so far again really really like that game it's, it's cool uh, that we have a, a golf game like this on the Switch while we wait around for an eventual Mario Golf on the Switch, which will be great. Um, love the... the, the I, I think it, it... I will not be surprising anybody who listens to this show by saying that the two of us are suckers for that era of art, that, that kind of, like, SNES feel mm-hmm. that, that game has. I fucking love the soundtrack on that game. I really dig some of the sound, some of the, the tracks on that game. Uh, in a couple of the areas I've, i think i've been in four different areas so far on it and really really like the soundtrack and i know you you had said my only issue with it is yeah. the soundtrack is great but it's very repetitive yeah it's, like, it's it, kind of it, one it's... or two tracks per area and that's kind and of it's, it. it's on a very short loop mm. but for what is there yeah it's it's very yeah. enjoyable maybe it's just that because i'm playing it in short bursts rather than long sessions that i haven't tired of it already could be could be that uh but really enjoying it so far it's um anybody could it's it's not a it's one of those rpgs that's very user-friendly you don't have to be really into your rpgs you don't have to be super into your golf games either to understand what's going on all the mechanics are very simple um the stories are very simple it has a great wish to it as well i think um there's like a great subplot going on in that game that i really enjoy about people constantly shit talking your skills mm-hmm. which is just like <laughs> 
like everybody keeps saying, I was like, well, it's not the way I do it. Basically, they're going, oh, you're like the way your wrist goes when you're swinging it and stuff like that. And like, there's, I, I don't know if it ever builds to anything. And part of me hopes it doesn't. But like, there's this building resentment from your character all the way through, like where he's basically just like, motherfucker, I did really well. You know, yeah. on that round, and they're still burying you for one thing you did wrong. <laughs> uh, it's really funny. I, I also, one of the, the little touches of that game, I really like the animations they have and the speech bubbles in that game. Just the different things they do with changing the size of the text in the speech bubble or moving the speech bubble in a certain way. Yeah, or, a lot of people pointed that out. That or, or it, digging it, with the pace that the 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 words appear in the speech bubble. Yeah, as it well. adds a lot of character. Yeah, um, and it, it adds a lot of it kind adds of inflection without yeah. actually adding inflection to it. Um, you get the tone uh, of what's going on here. Um, but yeah, it's a really really good game. Uh, very much enjoyed the other thing I kind of um, dipped into a little bit for a couple hours this week to try and give it another chance because Ultra Sun and Moon came out last week Mm -hmm. which I would not have known only for the fact that Jack bought both of them what a monster yeah and as he asked me is like am I a crazy person or something like that he said to me for getting both of them and I went yes Um, because I think both of us really bounced off those games pretty hard didn't we like it didn't um wasn't really doing it for us yeah i i don't know uh part of it i think is that so i mean you remember the the particular episode i had uh at the start of my time living in ireland where i yeah you were playing was it five different versions of pokemon at once something like that yeah 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 that happened um so i i think that gave me a a slight uh episode of burnout Mm -hmm. um I do think as well that I I I think I'm at my my tail end now of of like okay I get Pokemon you know I I'm done with it I I, I also think something about the way like there are elements of the way the Pokemon games are going that I really like there are some things like my God the way those games look is gorgeous mm-hmm. and I would have I I would have killed a man in the nineties when I was playing. Uh, red and blue to have my uh pokemon look that good sure you know what i mean when i was dealing with like we, we've talked before on the show about how some of those sprites in gen one are they're rough <laughs> to say the least so yeah um the game looks great um I, I can't take that away from it the music is fantastic in it um and i do like some of the stuff that's done with the touch screen in as much as like it makes the toggling through menus far less tedious compared to um some of the older games and there's far more options with uh sending pokemon to your box and things like one of the things that i really appreciate about uh sun and moon is the ability to so you know the way if in the old games you fill up your party of six automatically if you catch a seventh pokemon it goes to the pc you have to mm-hmm. go to the pc and you have to go figure out which box it's in and shit like that there is an option in this one which is to immediately put it in your party and take out someone else and put it into a box ah. which is such a, a small thing that it yeah. saves a hell over of a the lot years of time. they've found all these tiny little yeah. like huh why did we but, not add that yeah then yeah. sometimes i find some of the bigger changes mark i don't know if this is part of why you banned stuff but some of the bigger changes i'm i'm not a massive fan of in that game i like the trials sort of is um, is it more I that think you the, like some of the trials it's 
what it is is I like the trials, but I miss the gyms. Sure. If it was kind of we had a trial and a gym, um, or if the the trials had some other like MacGuffin attached yeah, they to it, they don't feel like they just feel like oh, this will keep you distracted it, for half an hour. It doesn't really feel like there's much accomplishment with some of them. Yeah, you know? a, a gym battle feels like fuck. I've been through that. Like, and it feels like right. Okay, I need to practice. I need to grind, and I need to not avoid any yeah. trainers. And let's be here. fair, the whole uh, Cubo Marowak trial thing like oh my god that will stay with I me howls yeah yeah some of that like again some of the writing in the game is fantastic mm-hmm. and the trials themselves i i quite enjoy a lot of elements of but the problem is that there are some things that weren't broken about the pokemon games that i don't think needed to be fixed and the one for me that is just kind of like remember i talked about um what was it I said at the start of the show? I, I compared to like, oh, the 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 Coke ad being like a warm, comfortable pair of shoes. Sure. And certain elements of the Pokemon games, you expect to be there. And it's a familiar comfort. And it's a familiar kind of like, kind of as long as we have been following Pokemon since we were watching the anime as kids, since we got Gen 1, is this idea that you get your eight gym badges and then you go on to the Elite Four. Yeah. yeah. You know, and... I don't think there was anything necessarily wrong with that that needed to be changed. I like the way XY did it, where they inco- it's sort of like half a trial and half a gym, where the gyms themselves became puzzles to get to the gym leader. Absolutely. That yeah. was really cool. The, th- the thing is, is you get to the point, um, and it's a thankless task, of you've done so many kind of iterations of the same thing that it is difficult to find mm. that balance. And definitely Sun and Moon was the most drastic change with... Mm. with the flow of the game yeah. and certainly they be- they become more uh story centric yeah I, I, that's one thing the preponderance of cutscenes i i don't, really don't and lengthy cutscenes yeah. like not metal gear solid long but when you're used to playing pokemon games where it's just like as soon as someone starts talking you bash through a until the battle I mean, starts you you know me i yeah. i got no time for that i want to i want i just want to catch yeah. i want to kick Destroy. Like catch, definitely, I back like forth, back forth. some of the kind of the the like gold and silver and stuff like that, where there are elements of lore worth exploring, but they're not so in your face that they would subject you to a lengthy cutscene about it. My only thing I'll say to that is I am only interested in the lore of the actual Pokemon. I don't yeah. care about any of the characters. Yeah, I, I I kind of like in this though. One of my favorite things is. I do like Team Skull a lot. Yes. With their fucking, like, rocking their B-boy stance and doing their shit raps. Yeah, I'll, like, I I'll do, grant you that. I do kind of like that a lot. I will grant you that. Um, um, yeah, yeah. I, but I, here's, I the, here's that... the thing. So if they do, uh, for the, the Switch version of Pokemon, mm-hmm. if they go, like, full-on 3D with it, yeah. do you think that... But it, it, like, it, it, it basically is that. You know what I mean? It's just, like... Granted, yeah it's, yeah. it's what I think the Switch can really add is scale. Because I think even the big cities okay, okay. in Pokemon, the way they are kind of like chibi characters now. If they feels... go if they go full on open world with it. Yeah. But I mean obviously Pokemon just, kind of just is. Breath of the world. Wild with Pokemon. <laughs> I will um, I will mail my my bank card to Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is, you know. Um 
and I, I think as well, like, uh, wow, we've really been spending some time talking about Pokemon, but you yeah. can definitely tell where they're getting to the point where they are running. I mean, they were running out of ideas by the time they decided to incorporate a keychain as a Pokemon yeah. and a coffin. Yeah. But definitely well, that them taking like a bunch of old Pokemon and giving them the the tropical spins. Mm. In, in execution, oh, act, in hello theory, the Doug Trio, man. In theory and in execution, they banged it out of the park. Doug Trio with the the surfer dude hair is amazing. Right, you surfing on his own tail. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're all amazing, but they and, are all part of an and, issue of hey, we've made a lot of these. We're running out of that's ideas. That's kind of that's kind of another part of it as well is because this is the world I'm least interested in. Because I, I, Johto and Kanto. God love them so much, and uh, when it comes to this, and there's so many more new Pokemon again, I'm less interested in remembering. Uh, well, yeah, I mean that's gonna happen. But like, even like, because I haven't got the time to. But fucking most learn gen, most gens, within a few hours, I can take one look at a Pokemon and go, "All right, I can remember what type that is. I've met that one before, and it's stored in here." But like so much of that game is like, and that's the criminal offense of the game. I think so much of it is forgettable. Uh, I, I, for me, it's actually more a case of: is this Pokemon worth my time or not? Yes, yeah. no. Or like, what? What Pokemon is this referenced to in terms of? Is this just uh, what? Like what Ratta? What is? Is this the Ratta of this version? Yeah. Okay, whatever. Oh, uh, dude! Like I'm going through like my party in this game. This will show you what a fucking old codger I am. My party in this game. Part of it is um, I have a Kadabra, a Haunter, and a Growlithe. That's how interested I am in the new Pokemon. <laughs> now, I will say I have my... Um, oh, oh, not Poplio. The starter bird. Rowlet. Rowlet, yes. Come on, I can't now. believe... Uh, I've so got you see, it, it's because he's evolved to the next one that I can't it's like dad tricks or something I like that. He's, about that it's an he still looks cool because he's got like a comb over in his middle evolution um so I've got him and I can't remember who the other two are I don't give a fuck um <laughs> to, it's, to be honest it's the sill wolf that barks yeah um and the fiery cat thing litten litten yeah. yeah uh but yeah it's a really that's the thing it's not a bad game but I think it's it's a forgettable Pokemon game, which might be the worst sin it can commit, to be honest. Uh, anyway, let's talk about more current things in the news. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Buckle up, Robinson, because... I don't have a seatbelt, but I'll put it on. Oh, there are some... <laughs> Talk to me. This is a very EA and Star Wars heavy news section this week, because, my God, the trash fire that is Star Wars Battlefront 2 just continues. And uh, I, I've used this as the launching off point for the discussion, this first story. This is an incredible stat here, this coming from Eurogamer. Star Wars Battlefront 2 physical sales are down 60% on Battlefront 1. Good lord. Now, the usual thing we say when sales are down by X amount on a game is, well, we know that even in the two years since Battlefront 1, the rate at which games are purchased digitally has increased quite considerably. Yeah, but this is... <laughs> now, Eurogamer have gone into this and they've said that they've they themselves have 
done a lot of comparisons when these kind of cases occur. And what they have found is that digital sales, the rate at which digital sales increase, they say of this 60%, only maybe 20 or 30% can be accounted for at most mm. by the digital trend. We yeah. won't know until the digital sales figures are known for sure whether it is a genuine 60% drop-off or how many people shifted between Battlefront 1 and Battlefront 2 from physical to digital. But this is... That is disastrous. That's uh, not to good. To say the least. Like, during the period at which you would want the game to be doing massive, um, Christmas will be a big time for them. I think they're not going to be... The other time would have been Black Friday, which is this Friday they're not going to get out from underneath the pall of all this bad PR by Friday this week. So I think Black Friday as being something that will massively turn things around for them is out of the question. Um, but this is... Um, well, this is, this here's the... Oh, excuse me. Oh, such as you are about such is my interest Earths. in... No, just in Battlefront 2. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the thing. I, I've... We had all the, the 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 madness last week about the microtransactions, and then EA have effectively switched them off. Um, and then this week we've been just getting the kind of trickle down of actual reviews of the game. Um, and what it seems like for the most part is everyone's just been like, "Yeah, it's it's pretty good," you know. Which sorry, Star Wars, the game we're um, talking about. Well, this one, I'm hearing a lot of. It's got the multiplayer has the same problem in that. You talk. I'm just going to plug my laptop in because I forgot to do that. Hey. So keep talking. If you play it for kind of twenty or thirty minutes, this is the thing we said about Battlefront One. If you play it for twenty or thirty minutes, it's going to seem like one of the better games you play that year in terms of multiplayer, because there are enough modes to keep it kind of varied for that about half an hour or whatever that you're not going to get sick of things. Uh, but Battlefront 2, seemingly, from just kind of reading around, I, I do not intend to ever play this game, um, just from reading around, seems to have that same problem that the longer you play, the more frustrating, the more boring, the more grindy it gets, and you just become gradually disinterested. Uh, we, said a lo- we said on the show last week as well that a lot of people have been very critical of the single player in that game, which is in Battlefront 2. Technical difficulties. Yeah. The uh, the cursed plugging in of the laptop charger kind of fucked us in the middle of a stream of consciousness there. Tell you what, those five minutes you missed were fucking excellent. They were actually great. They were really good, but we'll try and recreate it as dramatically as possible. No, you will. I'm just going to sit here and 
Just yeah, um, so book. we talked about um, last week on the show about how people had kind of criticized the um, the single player as being kind of uh, very, f- like, just kind of fan fiction-y and the multiplayer is still being quite tedious and grindy. So I'm not kind of uh, massively optimistic about that. I think where we finished that point was I, I asked you, what is the end game here? And we said there's, there's kind of two options. And that's either the microtransactions stay off and they never come back. Or they turn them back on at some point. Uh, yeah, I, 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 for the life of me, can't remember where exactly where we were. But yeah, it, I, I think I asked about whether... Um, do they just do like with Evolve where they have uh, some sort of founders pack for mm. people that purchased the game originally yeah they, they just go they go hard free to play everybody who had already purchased the game gets a load of free shit yeah the pro- problem is, is no, literally no one bought Evolve where there yeah. are people that have bought Star Wars Battlefront 2 yeah. um, so they so, probably couldn't do that so your two realistic options are keep the microtransactions off and call it a loss yep. or turn them back double down and turn them back on because your microtransaction long-term strategy for ea properties is too valuable to abandon or yeah, set a precedent I, here I, I feel at this point um there there is a very very kind of toxic feel to the game i think your exact phrase was there's no way back there is no way back no because i feel there is this kind of toxic brand associated with the game now yeah and i just i don't think the game is good enough Mm-mm. like it's it's serviceable but i don't think it's good enough to overcome that yeah um and certainly i wonder how hard of a look that uh, disney will you know look at this and <laughs> it's funny you should say that uh-huh. <laughs> because uh in our in our kind of other stories we had the the decision to turn them off was uh may or may not have come from disney head honcho bob Iger ringing uh ea head honcho andrew wilson there was a phone call no one knows exactly what happened but in the middle of the night hours, to catch him by surprise within hours the microtransactions were turned off and then this other thing which was once they were turned off lucasfilm who make the star wars films released a statement going yeah that's the right thing they should have done that um it's been an absolute trash fire. And I, I think, to me, now as a gamer, uh, as a consumer, and as someone who, like, I like to think of part of our roles in this show being advocates for the consumer. We don't really take the side of the, the big soulless corporation. We take the side of the consumer. I would Jim like to fucking say. Sterling. I know, right? But from a business point of view i think the smart thing for them to do is probably just double down and just grin and bear it and put them turn them back on because the next story which we had just started talking about before we realized that our mics were cut is that the precedent of the microtransactions being turned off and if they stay off has awoken the beast the cash cow that is the fifa community yeah um FIFA Ultimate Team is kind of, in some ways, the progenitor of the loot box craze on consoles. Definitely uh, the first kind of big one that I can think Mm. of. And it became such a thing because the people who liked it and the people who were susceptible to it just went with it. And the people like me or you who would both disagree with the idea 
and in your case wouldn't be playing FIFA anyway really Mm. just kind of went well that's a bunch of bullshit but I'm not going to be playing that mode anyway so I continue to play my career mode you continue to not play yeah no it is um, we've mentioned it before like they literally took um, a a game that is nothing more than a a free to play mobile game in its sheer gameplay ultimate team mode ultimate team sure yeah Uh, in terms of mechanics um, it's uh, purchases, in-app purchases, everything about it is like designed to be um, this a, a cash cow, basically. Yeah. Um, and like, all right, you, you could make an equivalent to the the sticker books that I used to get in the early nineties, but I'd only be allowed to buy two packs a week, and I didn't have access to my mother's credit or debit yeah. card. So. The, just, the the till at the news agents where you got your panini stickers wasn't linked to a PayPal no, account. No, it was not funnily yeah. enough. Um, so I, the thing that I'm surprised by is the fact that this like new shocking revelation that FIFA Ultimate Team is a bad thing. Mm. It's, well, it's, it's not. You see, I think it's the thing that people are waking up now going... Oh, you mean we don't have to like we can we can say no we don't like this? That's like they're saying that. I'm not saying that. Okay. But, but again, uh, it's a case of the comparison I drew the first time was it's a case of first they came from my blank and I said nothing, and then they came for me and there was no one left. Yeah, but here's here's the key difference, and obviously you know this. They're uh, idiots. One, yes. <laughs> and I guess two, which is related to point one, is that the microtransactions within Star Wars Battlefront 2 are directly linked to the actual kind of core gameplay. Yeah. Whereas uh, the, Ultimate, Ultimate Team, Team is a side mode. That There is plenty of game that doesn't involve Ultimate exactly. Team transactions. There's no advantage that you get from buying a, a well, pack. The, well, no, there is in Ultimate Team. No, nah, but again... Yeah. I don't give a fuck about Ultimate Team. Obviously. I know you don't. There, there's no advantage to buying a pack in Ultimate Team that you are granted in an actual game of in FIFA. Career mode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you do play actual games of FIFA in Ultimate Team. Again, yeah. it's still completely like if you go onto a game for, of online for multiplayer. Us, what you're saying is 100% true. If you go but onto a game I, of online I, multiplayer, yeah. there is no advantage that you can purchase. Again, in Ultimate Team, yes. I never give a fuck about Ultimate Team. that's my point, is that there is a distressing percentage of people who play FIFA who the only mode they play is Ultimate Team. Well, those people are arseholes. That's... Case may be, but... (laughs) Anyway. This is, from EA's point of view, this is the one community you don't want to set a precedent that... If you get angry like the Star Wars fans did, we'll turn off microtransactions. Because now on FIFA's Ultimate Team Reddit, some of the big figures in the community are starting to go, why can't they do that for us as well? So... Imagine being, like, a moderator. Just, yeah, just please. So... I'm starting to get mildly irritated now by these words that you're using. George George Cruz, in a thread titled, Changes Can Happen, Why Can't We Do The Same, sums up the sentiment from the hardcore FIFA community. The whole of the gaming community thought this was an awful thing for the Battlefront community. For us, this was a normal Monday afternoon. So, the ultimate teamers are getting woke. (laughs) At long last. Years after the rest of us realised this was a bunch of bullshit. I'm sorry, people, but yours is not a real game. I will not accept this. I mean, like, as a FIFA player, and as kind of somebody who does think this kind of thing is bullshit, I think rather than just call them idiots, we should celebrate the fact they arrived to the party at all, no. rather than the fact that they're nope. five years late. Nope, not giving it to them. No, because the if 
this kind of whisper turns into a roar. This is the only way these things change. And those are the people. The people who are willing to spend that much money on FIFA are the only ones that EA would be scared of annoying. Yeah, but you know what? I bet nothing happens. It's an important it's important to note that Star Wars Battlefront 2 and FIFA 18's microtransactions work in very different ways, but the one inherent Wait, thing who's about, this from? This is Eurogamer. Okay, who's who's written it? Eurogamer. No, but who is actually who's who wrote the Wesley Enpu. Oh, okay. Does he mention anything about burying on a It says Venger out. Okay. <laughs> uh please continue. The one thing inherent about Ultimate Team <laughs> is when you get inside it and when you're playing it is that it is a pay to win mode. Uh, you can play. You can pay real world money for FIFA points, which are then used to buy packs of cards, which unlock players for Ultimate Team, uh, which include players of varying effectiveness. These packs are FIFA's version of blind loot boxes. You can't buy a player directly, so you can't go right. Here's my money. Can I have Cristiano Ronaldo, please? But you can buy the chance to pack a player. Spend more money and you increase the chance of packing the best players in the game. Countering this, EA have done a decent job of balancing the game, so players who don't spend money don't feel too disadvantaged bollocks <laughs> a high skill player should beat a low skill player irrespective of the cards they own not always the case um but it goes on to basically talk about how because um ultimate team has been doing this for so long and has just become an accepted practice within the fifa community people just haven't given out about it because again the people who don't play ultimate team mode don't bother with it and they're the ones more likely to be upset by it and the ones who are already all in on ultimate team mode just this is the way things are for them this is life can we please stop um, talking about this now but no it, but it's interesting because ea's decision <laughs> to turn off microtransactions or yeah. not could have a real lasting effect on how convincing they can be that this is the way their games work it could it could but I, I just I don't think that it will affect. Was we'll he? I think the, team. the one thing, um, and it's the one thing. I think it'll affect that, future and not, projects, and it's not necessarily that they're they're idiots or anything like that. Like I don't want to condescend to them or anything like that. I think the main thing that separates the two situations from one another because I think they are almost identical in a lot of ways: the Star Wars situation and the FIFA situation, uh, or the Ultimate Team situation more specifically. Um, the difference is there are so many more casual players of FIFA than Star Wars players. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Star Wars community are hardcore mm-hmm. in so many ways, mm-hmm. and for good and for ill. Mm-hmm. Whereas the FIFA community, there are people who FIFA is the only game they buy a year. The PlayStation is only there to be a FIFA machine. They they turn it on. They engage with the game. They play Ultimate Team mode. They throw their money in for the FIFA points. They never engage with Reddit. They never engage with Twitter. They're not checking news websites to see what's going on with Star Wars. They have no idea what's going on. And there's certainly more to be said about the the opportunistic uh, nature of it in regards to um, grabbing those that age range of I don't know anywhere from like 7 to 15 or whatever yeah. uh, and the real danger that there is there um, to just see money just yeah. disappear whether it's their money which so, probably isn't all you know wh- parents money what my take would be on this like I, I can tell like obviously like, your, your comments are coming from a place of just frustration with the people who are aware of this but still don't do anything about it and blindly give their money my 
point on it would be that if nothing changes about the Ultimate Team community on the back of this, it'll either be because EA go back on their word and turn back on the microtransactions on Star Wars so there is no precedent set, or, more likely, the silent majority of Ultimate Team users just don't care because they don't know. I think it'll be a combination of that last point, and I just think that the the, the root um, usage of the mechanics... And I know, I know you keep talking about like everything within Ultimate Team and that you can actually play games and there's effects. Well, it's, that is like it is yeah. playing FIFA. Yeah, it's yeah. just with... It, it's kind of like, imagine FIFA with just some RPG elements to it is the best way to think about it. But for me, for when me. I think of FIFA, it's not FIFA. It is yeah, a separate yeah. thing to FIFA. Yeah. Where everything about these microtransactions are directly rooted mm. to everything that you can do within... As far as I'm aware, please, someone, correct me if I'm wrong, is intrinsically directed to everything that is in Battlefront 2. So I yeah. think that there is enough of a difference there that I don't think it will make any effect on um, Ultimate Team. Now, what I do hope it has an effect on is publishers, specifically EA, but others, on future projects, future mm-hmm. decisions with, uh, as we've kind of spoken about, you know, do they go for a, a $60 model or do they go free to play or whatever they want to go with. That will be, for me, the big thing, I think, going forward. I hope it has an effect yeah. on Alma Team. I, I'd love to see um, changes. Because I, I, I think genuinely, like, if that if Ultimate Team was a meritocracy, that you get the, the packs and stuff based on how good you are at the game or how much you play it, as opposed to how much money you're willing to burn into it, it's an interesting mode that I might give a second look to. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because the challenges in Ultimate Team, I can see the appeal. Because the challenges of trying to build a squad based on the packs that you're getting through the games you're playing yeah. is a really interesting way to do things. But again, it's it's mired in all this microtransaction bollocks. Um, the final kind of tangential story to this is um, there was a lot of rumors going around. So CD Project Red, who made the, the Witcher games, who are in the process of making uh, Cyberpunk 2077, which is their next kind of big game, um... There was rumours in the wake of all this Star Wars stuff, someone had started them online, that Cyberpunk 2077 was also going to have microtransactions and things like that, and people... Was that just, like, a baseless statement put out there? Pretty Well, you see, the thing is, like, a company like CD Projekt Red, they're not out all the time with PR people like EA or Bethesda are, where within a couple of hours it will be the statement will be rebutted or there will already be so much information about an ea game out there that you can't really create those kind of rumors in fairness i had to email them um after the whole thing about those leaks for yeah uh early stuff for this game uh, came out and they got back to me within about half an hour yeah because i imagine they don't get directly contacted like that like people just you know what i mean rumors begat rumors and things like that but they're generally kind of like once they start a project, they just keep their heads down. They're not revealing details about Cyberpunk 2077, except to say, it's us, trust us, the game is being made. <laughs> Which is a great way to go about things. Um, CG Project Red joined CEO Adam Kikinski uh, rattled fans when, in a Polish interview with Strefa in... I'm not even going to pronounce that surname. He said things like, we're interested in Cyberpunk becoming commercially even more significant. Online is very necessary and things like that if you want to uh, achieve long-term success, it says. So people inferred from that that it was going down the route of like 
uh, Battlefront and other games like that. Um, but they have come out um, by saying, Worry not. When thinking Cyberpunk 2077, think nothing less than The Witcher 3. Huge, single-player, open-world, story-driven RPG. No hidden catch. You get what you pay for. No bullshit. Just honest gaming like with Wild Hunt. And then, <laughs> as this article says, The Clincher. We leave the greed to others. Which is just the, like... They cleared their own house. They said, right, these rumours are bases. And then at the end, it's just a fucking pimp slap at EA. <laughs> <laughs> we leave the greed to others, which is a very CD Projekt Red way to look at things. Um, so we can finally now move on from Microtransaction Corner, which is a very bloated one this week. Um, kind of like microtransactions in themselves. Indeed. Um, this week in, I just wanted to give a couple of quick kind of shout outs, uh, this week for people who are interested in watching video game documentary kind of things, there are two things to keep an eye out for, uh, Drew Scanlon, formerly of Giant Bomb, who is now at Cloth Map doing kind of video game travel log, uh, documentaries, uh, he's rolling out his series on his visit to Brazil this week, I've kind of stayed clean on I, I don't know what he's going to be talking about in it i just know that it's been brazil so i'm very much looking forward to seeing what uh, he gets up to uh, when he visits brazil and the other one is daniel dwyer uh of no clip uh, he started doing these in between the big uh, no clip documentaries the most recent big one being on the witcher which is fucking brilliant um he's doing i think they're called no clip profiles which are just short kind of half hour, hour long videos, kind of a smaller story or a big interview in one video. Uh, and he talks to uh, Brendan Green, Player Unknown, mm -hmm. uh, about the success and the, the creation of Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, uh, one of the breakout successes of the year. And uh, that's a really interesting chat. It's, it's pretty good. Um, one thing I didn't know, Brendan Green grew up here in the town we live in yeah yeah you messaged me the other day to oh, i was out. in bits i couldn't believe it <laughs> like i re i actually rewound it I was like did that motherfucker say newbridge yeah and then it turns out he may have gone to secondary school in a school i taught in at the same time that my uncle was in that same school what a holiday which is really weird and i kind of don't want to ask him because i think it might upset him greatly <laughs> it's like do you remember a dorky kid yeah. called brendan green well he's very wealthy yeah. now <laughs> Um. So yeah, go go check those two things out on YouTube. Uh, cloth map and no clip. Some good content coming up this week. Uh, in some kind of uh stuff that's coming out, they might want to keep a uh, keep some tabs on. Uh, an underrated horror game that myself and Brian really like called Soma, which we played on PS4. Jeez, it'd be nearly two years ago now because it was while you were in China that we were playing it. Um, it's coming to Xbox One on the first of December. Um. So I would urge Xbox players... I'm presuming this is some knows. sort of souped-up version for 4K, or...? Uh, I don't know what it's got. Uh, the the big addition to it, that's the kind of the headline for me here, is that it's got a new mode that takes out... So it's a very atmospheric horror game that is very much kind of like... Um, imagine kind of rapture, but like leading more into like it looks like uh rapture shot by ridley scott um 
that's kind of what it's like. It's under underwater so it, dystopia. There's no one else there. Is it rapture? But does it keep uh, a sense of the kind of like, creepiness? No, I was going to say the 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 1970s. No, in the 1950s uh, style. Yeah, the, the architecture. The, no, no. Okay, but in kind of like sunken city, that kind of vibe, and something happened, and you don't know what, okay. and you're trying to investigate. Um, the one part of that game, and there's a lot of puzzle solving, like a classic survival horror game in it. Um, the one part I found quite tedious in it was there are some monsters. Um, and Funny that in a horror game. There, but there's kind of like hide and seek things, like Alien Isolation, except it's 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 not really that great. And it kind of gets in the way. The, the, that game is at its best when you feel utterly alone. Cool. And you're just wandering around exploring the lore and the audio logs and things like that. Um, the the hide and seek segments are just kind of like frustrating and they're not really that great so this version that's coming out on Xbox One and this mode is also being patched into the PC I don't know about PS4 is a safe mode it's being called where just basically those things are turned off there's there's no monsters in it okay um so you get to just explore kind of like a, a tourist mode basically and i think i would much prefer to play that version of the game so <laughs> so would i that's pretty cool because there's no combat involved at all and it's still believe me mark even without those hide and seek uh segments it's creepy as all fucking get out like uh, brian isn't as jumpy as you but brian was in bits playing this game yeah. and that all was right. before we even knew the hide and seek segments happened maybe i won't play this game um animal crossing is coming to mobile as a pocket it's camping out pocket as we campers. speak yeah you've just downloaded it there as we were uh recording. yes yes uh well actually what is it what is it what's so it? i think when we said this this nintendo when nintendo started moving into the mobile yeah, gaming Pokemon. space um that animal crossing was animal crossing and fire emblem were the two where you're like duh pretty much obvious uh, and you know maybe pokemon trading card game uh-huh <laughs> Um, Although that's um, that that is oh it is isn't that it? is there because I have I had that on tablet. It's just not part of the the new kind of venture they haven't done. Uh, no, no, it's not. Um, yeah, this did. Do you think this one like because it's not? I have no idea. Because um, Super Mario Run did quite well for a while, and obviously, Animal Crossing isn't as ubiquitous as Mario, you know, but. No, the the thing is, um, there's there's stuff about Animal Crossing that you can take from the original and kind of yeah. transfer across, whereas Mario was like a, a pretty much a new experience. You know, you've never played a Mario game the way that you played with Super Mario Run. Mm. So I don't know anything about this game um, other than it was released like either yesterday or today yeah. so i mean you know by next week yeah it, it, it probably won't have the download rate like, i could be wrong it probably won't get as many downloads as super mario run but the one thing about that animal crossing community rabid is a way to describe them uh-huh um so fair play to that uh just a kind of like public service announcement here. We mentioned it earlier in the show, but Black Friday is coming this week. It certainly is. Um, I don't so have any money for it. Keep an eye to a bunch of retailers because the uh, the sale on the PlayStation Store is already live and some of those are double discounted for PlayStation Plus members. I'm assuming there's probably one up on the Xbox Store. I don't know if Nintendo are doing Black Friday on um, on their digital store anyway. And I my email 
is just clogged with different retailers who have my email address <laughs> talking about there. So GameStop in Ireland, you get, if you have a like if you're their level three membership or whatever, you get three day early access. So I was looking at some of those deals today and they're kind of on par with what you're getting on the PlayStation Network. Um, the likes of, I think, Assassin's Creed Origins. I, I So I bought two games today. Um, and that was Assassin's Creed Origins and Evil Within 2, which I got for like the princely sum of less than 80 euro. That's how deeply they were reduced. Strong. It was like a full 35 quid off uh, Assassin's Creed, which is pretty good. Um, I actually must check. The one I would be very interested in if it was discounted would be L.A. Noir that got re-released last I... week because I really want to play that game again. Doubt that will be uh, discounted at this point. I mean, Call of Duty got a couple of quid knocked off it for this week, and that came out yeah, last week. Maybe so. I don't know. I I don't know. Who knows? It, the thing is with the Switch, it's still too early to know exactly. Well, Eleanor is on PlayStation Four and Xbox One as well. Oh, but I'm I'm sorry, I was on about the Switch. Oh yeah, no fuck, it won't go down on the Switch. No, no, no yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah. The only thing I'd have been interested in is getting Wolfenstein, but I don't have any money. To yeah, be, that's down to thirty-five euro. I believe. Do not have the money for impulse purchases, so I uh, don't so, care. So yeah, let's not so, have this discussion because uh, I will get annoyed. Well, yeah, listeners, uh, keep an eye out because there'll be there'll be deals going on for most of the week. Uh, Amazon will do theirs as well. That will be mental. But uh, yeah, check that out to see if you if there's some games you want to pick up before the end of the year. Treat yourself. Uh, final. Speaking of um games at a reasonable price brutal legend is currently free <laughs> on uh on humble there's there's a I humble never played brutal legend i was really interested it's pretty by it. underrated i was really interested back in the day because you know it was jack black certainly at um you could say near his peak or just slightly coming off of the peak of his popularity mm-hmm. um what was, it? was scroll of rock maybe the year prior or i don't know the exact Brutal Legend on PS3. Yeah, it was. So, yeah, no, it was Scooter Rock was a few years before that. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, but, yeah, I, I heard, like, it was it had some interesting things about it, but also wasn't what you expected it to be. Um, yeah, it's not, like, it's not a classic by any stretch, but it's um, it's good. It's worth, it's worth picking up, like, for free. <laughs> Come on. Um, but it's part of, there's a huge sale going on over on Humble at the moment, so I, I'll run you through a couple of the ones. I won't give you exact prices, but there's kind of across all territories, there's a fixed percentage off things, so you can work it out for yourself. Um, Hollow Knight is 34% off. Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes, which is one of my favourite Steam games I own. 67% off that game at the moment. Uh, Outlast 2, 50% off. Super Hot 40% off. Overcooked 50% off. Jazz Punk 75% off. Uh, Rockstar Publisher Sale is up to 70% off and that includes GTA games, LA Noir, Max Payne and Bully. Um, there's a Deep Silver Publisher Sale which is up to 80% off. Telltale Publisher Sale up to 80% off. THQ Nordic Publisher Sale up to 80% off and a Capcom Publisher Sale up to 80% off. So this is this is the week if you have a couple of quid to throw towards a game that you want uh, before Christmas. This is probably the time to do it. Strike while the iron's hot, Jeff, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen. Um, that wraps up the news for this week and we're going to head into the Link to the Cast book club where we talk about an important game from the past that you should either play again if it's been a while or play for the first time if you've never heard of it. Um, this week, it's Mark's turn. Mark, what are we talking about this week? Uh, this week, we are looking at uh, an Xbox Live classic, Castle Crashes. Castle Crashers. 
Castle Crashers is a 2D beat-em-up video game developed by The Behemoth. It features music created by members of Newgrounds. The Xbox 360 version was released on August 27th, 2008 via Xbox Live Arcade as part of the Xbox Live Summer of Arcade. The PlayStation 3 version was released in North America on August 31st, 2010 and November 3rd, 2010 in Europe via the PlayStation Network. A Microsoft Windows version, exclusive to Steam, was announced on August 16th, 2012. The game is set in a fictional medieval universe in which a dark wizard steals a mystical gem and captures four princesses. Four knights are charged by the king to rescue the princesses, recover the jewel and bring the wizards to justice. Castle Crashers was well received by critics on all platforms on which it was released. The Xbox 360 version holds a score of 82.73% at game rankings and 82 out of 100 on Metacritic. While the PlayStation 3 version averages at 88.67% and 85 out of 100 on the same sites. On June, 5th, John, on June 15th, 2015, the Behemoth announced Castle Crashers Remastered, a remastered version of the game for Xbox One, while the Steam version received it in the form of a free update. The remastered version features high quality textures, uncapped frame rate, performance improvements, and an additional mini game. So, in our uh, pre production, uh, literally about five seconds ago, uh, you told me that you've never played this game before. No. Um, because you didn't I have an Xbox 360. Didn't have an Xbox 360. We talked about how that was the, the generation I played the least amount of video games. Yeah. Uh, I had a PS3, but it was basically a FIFA machine. Uh, like I, I, I discussed that there are people that do do that, and that was largely it for me uh, when I was going through the kind of the early parts of college. Um, but, and this kind of the launching off point, what I'm sure is going to be a fascinating uh, entry in the Mark Robinson lecture series. Um, I was peripherally aware of the Xbox Live Summer of Arcade. Yeah. Um, tell me about this magical time to be a retro game fan <laughs> with a current gen console at the time. So yeah, back in 2008, which was the first year of the Xbox Live Summer of Arcade, uh, it was basically a bunch of games were released for the Xbox Live Arcade. Um, in 2008, for the first year, we had uh, a couple of whoppers. Uh, we had Bionic Commando Rearmed, which I never played, but we had Braid, which we have had as a, a book club feature on this show before, mm-hmm. and we had Geometry Wars Retro Evolve 2, and I'm a big fan of Geometry Wars. Um, but along with that as well, we had Castle Crashes. Um, some of the other uh, Summer of Arcade games we'd go over the year, we had... Uh, Trials HD, we had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time Reshelled, which I don't think was very good. Uh, we had Tony Hawk's Pro Skater HD. <laughs> uh, we had Brothers of Teller Two Sons, which actually I really liked as well. Uh, anyway, so yeah, Castle Crashers. Um, if we go way, way back in time to one of the first uh, shows that we did. One of the games that I spoke about was Streets of Rage. Yes. Streets uh, of Rage 2 specifically. Streets of Rage 2 one. specifically, yeah. But you could extend from that uh, a whole number of different, um, basically, arcade coin-ups uh, from, the lo- types, uh, from the likes of the Simpsons arcade game, um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Heroes, Turtles in Time... Uh, there's an X-Men, X-Men one that I can't remember the exact one, the name of. All of those, 
you know, side-scrolling beat-em-ups uh, that you'd play in arcade machines, uh, you know, when you're a child. And Castle Crashers really is, uh, it's kind of a love letter back to that uh, era, if you will. Mm-hmm. But adds a number of new bells and whistles, you know, um, to bring it up to, to the modern day. Um, I did briefly mention this last week but i will talk a little bit about it new grounds um was primarily like a, a flash site um that existed since actually the mid 90s i didn't realize it went back, back as far as that um it was a uh, like a, an entertainment and social media website uh that was founded by this guy called tom Fulp. And uh, it was kind of split into four sections. It had like a game section, movies, audio, and artwork. And a lot of it was based off of like old uh, uh, Adobe Flash type software. Um, you know, it would take forever to load up. Um, a lot of the animation was rather crude. Like, I don't know if you ever saw um, like any animations of like Stickman. Um, that was like kind of the first thing that people had got their hands on type of Flash type of software. And was just kind of figuring out how to actually make anything with it. And obviously Stickman is like the easiest thing to draw. So they would just yeah. make yeah kind of crude like mini videos of two Stickmen beating the shit out of each other. Mm. Uh, so I saw a lot of that back in the day. But there was also some really, really good stuff. Some very creative stuff. Some very funny stuff. Um, and it was also like the first remnants of me really playing what you would describe as uh, indie video games. Because these would be games that were not made for profit you know there wasn't anything like um kickstarter or anything of that nature. made for the, the love of the earth yeah it really was and to kind of as well like these kind of games as well are sharpening your tools and kind of proof of concept yep. for building your career 100 percent, yeah and you know this is before mobile games so th- there was uh, like the exposure for these is really minimal i like i think a lot of this was people who had spare time, whether they were just animators or software engineers or whatever, like making these as a way to sharpen their tools, build their portfolios to then take to, you know, whatever dream job in the games industry they were after. Um, And it's something that I've only kind of looked back on years later to really think that yeah you know i was playing like a lot of what we think about as is kind of indie games today mm. i was playing like 12 13 years ago and not even thinking about it yeah like the amount of kind of like popular indie games that have come from either that kind of a background or a game jam or something like that now is incredible yeah yeah exactly um so basically from the the remnants of uh that uh, I'll just get where we. Yeah, so basically, from the remnants of that, we had um, the Behemoth, uh, which is a video game development company that is still going strong today. Um, that was created in two thousand three. So they uh, made a game called Alien Hominid, uh, which was out in uh, when did they come out? I think it was around in the mid two thousands. That was like um, a pretty kind of standard, like side-scrolling platform shooter. Um, that you know, if you played Mega Man, you kind of had an idea of what it was about. Yeah. And it was, like, I was really excited about it because I was a big fan of Newgrounds at this point, and I was a big yeah. fan of that kind of flash style of animation. That got a GameCube port, didn't it? Did it? I think. 
hold on, let me check. I feel like I, because I, I looked up the 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 alien yes, it hominid. Did. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like I saw that art with a GameCube. Yeah, and there it is. How about that? Um, and I I thought the game was okay. Nothing more, nothing less. It was just it was a a fine game. Um, and I didn't hear anything really about Castle Crashers until it came out. It just it it popped up on my screen one day as part of this Summer of Live, uh, Summer of Arcade for the Xbox Live Arcade. Mm. Um, but again, because it was the Behemoth, because I was I I recognised that art style, that animation style. I was like, well, I'm going to buy this. You know, yeah. I'm going to give this a pop. And I was very much getting into those. It was it was chum in the Robinson waters. It really was, yeah. Um, and because I was very much getting into those smaller types of indie games at this point, you know, it was right up my street. Um, and what I immediately realized is that, oh, shit, this is like uh, a, you know, up to four player uh, Streets of Rage game, effectively. Mm. So I immediately got three of my closest friends who had Xbox Live, uh, Xbox Lives, Xbox Lives, Xbox 360s, sorry. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, right, let's fucking do this then. Um, because certainly back in the day, if I could, uh, if I could have a, a four-player Streets of Rage, I'd be all over that. Yeah. Because we had that with the arcade, arcade coin-ups, with the likes of Simpsons and Teenage yeah. Turtles in Time and whatnot. You could play four-player mode with them. So, uh, yeah, I pretty much now had that in my own home that I could play with my friends over voice chat when we weren't playing Horde mode in Gears of War 2. Mm-hmm. I had now something else to play. Uh, that was right up my street. So, the idea with uh, Castle Crash, as, as mentioned, obviously, is it's like a, a 2D sort of side-scrolling beat-em-up type of game. Um but it has a number of new things incorporated that don't exist in the other types of games mentioned. Um, it has a slight RPG element to it, so you do level up your character. Uh, there is a, a an incentive for uh, replaying the game outside of just because you want to play a game. Again, um, it does a lot around exploration. There are lots of kind of hidden areas uh, within each world that you play. Um, and you can find uh, different collectibles and different power-ups um, that just make you more powerful, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of that incorporated with this cooperative gameplay uh, m- made for one of the yeah one of the more memorable experiences that I had um, from that period of time. Like I've mentioned a number of times before about the Xbox 360, and I've mentioned. Um, Super Meat Boy or Viva Pinata or Gears of War, all these kind of games in that period. But Castle Crashers is up there as like a. I mean, you can see from. It's not often that I will go to say like a Metacritic and say, "Hey, look at that as proof of mm-hmm. the scores." But it, I would put that as validation that yeah. um, what it did. I wouldn't say it entirely kind of reinvented the wheel for the genre of the kind of side-scrolling cop uh, beat 'em up. But it, it, you know, kind of fine-tuned it for the 21st yeah. century in a way that we hadn't like, seen for a long time. It was also, and it was indicative of that that summer of arcade that this was a time where the the big budget and the, the AAA space was moving more and more away from that classic kind of co-op experience. And this felt like a kind of, I don't know, like not necessarily a throwback, but like a throwback in some ways. But I'm trying to think like kind of a, 
almost like a, a statement that these kind of co-op games are still vital and still very enjoyable and maybe we shouldn't discard them like the the big budget part of the games industry was starting to yeah um one of the the big things about the game um that helped is it was kind of a twofold thing that um visually it was very very striking um if you had been around uh, new grounds at all you could immediately kind of familiar familiarize yourself with the art style um it's very very familiar to you know anyone who'd been around at that time um and it had loads and loads of little touches uh, between the characters between the environment between the backgrounds you know there's a lot of variation in the environments um and they do a really good job of making each one feel kind of distinct but there's a real kind of deceptively simplistic feel to the gameplay um it doesn't do anything fancy you're not chaining together mad combos though i feel that that was a thing you could do if you got really good um but you know kind of using your uh sword whether it's for you doing short range or long range um you could get really good at like crowd control and wiping out loads of enemies at one go um and when you incorporate that with three other people, like I've I've never been the biggest proponent of of multiplayer um, or online multiplayer. Yeah, you and I both. Yeah, but in the context of when you're playing with other people, um, and when you just get into the zone of being in an area where there's just complete chaos, but it's kind of under your control as well. And horde mode is always kind of the the example that I go to, um, but certainly works here or applies here as well. Um, it's, yeah, it's some of the most fun that I've had playing a video game. Yeah, I, like, it, it's crazy how, it, like, things like that Summer Arcade and, and things like Castle Crashers and games like that just really, it just reminds you sometimes that when games, this because this was also at the peak of every game was a grey brown gritty game. It was very much time. during that time, yeah. And just and like this, this game is very much not burst that. of colour and throwback. You just think to yourself, like, my video games used to be fun. Do you remember that? Mm. Do you remember video games were fun? Um and and that's the thing that like from afar, obviously, because as I said, I never played this game, one of the things that I really appreciate with this, like just looking at, at screenshots of this game, like it is just it's just like a just this warm feeling inside of yeah that's the stuff yeah you know and i i assume that's that's kind of exactly how you felt uh playing it yeah absolutely um so i was gonna no no i i thought you were gonna um have you you were saying that um the behemoth have kind of gone on to other things is there any other of their their fair that you've played or you've heard about or so so it was remastered anyway for xbox one yeah uh, in 2015 um but they, they have other games as well you mentioned alien hominid yeah so again i i have played alien hominid i played the the ios port and it, it's an okay game there's not much more i can say than that mm. Uh, but then there was also uh battle block theater which i was a game it's a great name for a game yeah I never got around to playing it, um, but it's kind of like how um, 
I was really hyped for uh, Mugenics and like the the next stuff that kind of Edmund McMillan will be going on to. Yeah. But I know I probably won't get around to it just because for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, but I don't think Battle Block Theater did as well uh, critically. I want to say. Mm. Um, but yeah, like definitely with the Behemoth, like they have a, a style all to themselves. Um, very much in the way that with Edmund McMillan, he has a very kind of distinctive art style. Um, and you can tell one of these games from someone else. That's kind of the thing that I like, that because a lot of modern games, um, you can't really tell who has one made made one game over the other. You know, you can tell that's a really pretty looking game. Can't always distinct, distinctively say, oh, that was made by such and such, or this is made by such and such. Um, which is a thing that you can do with with smaller uh, games because they can have very kind of unique distinctive styles to them um, that aren't just render this poly to the highest sheen possible mm-hmm. you know um, yeah so like as mentioned kind of there's uh, the Xbox One version of it um, I imagine it's on Steam would love to sit on the Switch one day uh, definitely <laughs> just had a familiar refrain on the show I was like god that'd be great on, on really the Switch would. one it really would. Um, again, yeah, it's it's not a game that reinvents the wheel by by any means, but um, for that kind of crop of like the Xbox Live arcade games, uh, it's yeah, it's it's one of it was one of the most popular, um, one of the most famous, and yeah, it was one of the best as well. So, it is Castle Clashers. Check it out. Uh, we got one last bit of business on this show, and that is to talk about what's going to be the game for episode 93. Next week, it's my turn to decide. Mark, I'm going to move a few years further back than you had this week, and I'm going to take you back to 1992. That's where I'm going to go. Is this a Super Nintendo game by any chance? It's not a Super Nintendo game. Wow. It's a PC game. Oh, okay. Are you going to throw one of these random games at me that no, I've never I'm not. heard of? I'm not. My one shot on that was the Neverhood, <laughs> and I did stump the fuck you out of you with the Neverhood. Fucking did. I'll, ne- I'll never be able to recapture that again. <laughs> a game Mark Robinson has genuinely never heard of. That's a classic. Um, no, we're going to go to 1992, and we're going to play an absolute fucking... Just a masterpiece of a classic game. We are going to play Wolfenstein 3D. Ah, uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Fine. For next week. Yeah. yeah all right. <laughs> You're a-okay with sure. that? Um, so that's Wolfenstein 3D for episode 93 of Link to the Cast. This has been uh, another episode of Link to the Cast. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast. Subscribe to us there. Rate us, review, tell a friend. It all helps. We really appreciate it. We've enjoyed. We we had a, a lot of engagement this week on social media platforms. So we were quite... Uh, quite... Uh, it's like having a nice warm hug from the community on that one. So it would definitely... seem that when we talk about wrestling games is when we do our best numbers. Yeah, indeed. We we know our audience. Mm. Uh, so we, we definitely appreciate hearing back from uh, the listeners wherever possible. And, you know, tell a friend. Maybe they'll appreciate it. Uh, the website is linked to the cast.eu. If you want to get in touch with us, the email is linked to the cast at gmail.com. Social media is facebook.com forward slash link to the cast at link to the cast on Twitter. Individually, I'm at Dave Ryan IV. Mark is at Lithium Project, and I keep forgetting every single week to change it back. The week Jack was on, or one of the weeks Jack was on guesting, he changed this script I have at the end of the show to I am at Dave Ryan IV, and Mark is at Jack Lazell. <laughs> and I keep forgetting <laughs> to change it back, and it pops me every time, and I have to try and suppress the giggle. 
Uh, sometimes we stream video games over twitch.tv forward slash link the cast and archive them later on YouTube. You can search for our channel on there by just searching for link the cast, either as all one word or separately. Uh, our series there are on hiatus at the moment, so I won't run you through what is normally our weekly schedule, but this podcast does drop every Thursday without fail. Uh, touch wood. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's going to do it for episode 92 of Link to the Cast. I have been Dave Ryan. You, sir, have been Mark Robinson. Have a week, everyone. Tom Nook, I'm coming for you, you bastard. <laughs>